0: Lifestyleist, episode 13 featuring John Gray. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Support for this episode comes from Bulletproof, an amazing way to upgrade both your morning coffee and your breakfast so you stay full, cravings-free, and energized for hours. And thanks to new Bulletproof Instamix, you can literally have an amazing creamy latte that supercharges your day. Anywhere, anytime in about five seconds. Check it out at Bulletproof.com and while you're there, you can use the coupon code LukeStory to save 10% off your order. So here we are, me and you together again on The Lifestylist. This is Luke Story bringing you another episode with today's guest, John Gray. Like so many of the exceptional guests I've featured on the show, John's a really humble guy, but I have to say he's just a genius when it comes to communication and relationships. And in this episode, we talk about a lot of very practical insights and tools that we can all use to just get along with one another and have more enlightened, fulfilling relationships. And I have no doubt that I will be listening to this show many, many times myself because it's really dense with valuable information. So I invite you to save this one, give it a couple passes, and this might be one you even come back to in a year or next time you find yourself in a relationship in which you're experiencing some turmoil. So it's with great pleasure that I give you this episode. Enjoy. I'd like to take a moment to show you some appreciation as my listener by reminding you to download your free episode upgrade. The episode upgrade is a beautiful four-page PDF document that I've meticulously pieced together just for you. The document contains all of the links and resources that I discuss in this interview with legendary author John Gray. So we cover a lot of territory and I want to make sure that you have direct access to every single thing that we talk about. So you don't have to worry about going to the show notes page on my site which never happens because i'm a podcast listener you can literally just like pull over your car stop what you're doing enter this url and get this document for free it also features my featured favorites people always ask me what are your new biohacking discoveries or new life enhancement technology supplements etc so i always take note of that and put them in the episode upgrade. So it's a really resource-rich document that I'd love to share with you. And once you get it, please feel free to share it with anyone that you know that might find it useful. So here's how you get it. Go to lukestory.com forward slash Lifestylist13, because this is, after all, episode 13. So again, super easy. lukestory.com forward slash Lifestyle13. Pop in your email, and it's going to be sent directly to you automatically, like magic. It's pretty fantastic. While you're enjoying that episode upgrade, I'd love for you to click subscribe on this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes, the least of which being next week's episode number 14 with a gentleman named Igor Malevsky, and that episode is titled What's in Your Water? I'm going to warn you, (laughs) get a barf bag because you are going to be freaked out and probably a little disgusted when you find out what is in tap water and how difficult it is to remove it. So if you're into good bathing, cooking and drinking water, I would definitely recommend next week's show. So subscribe to the show and while you're at it, why don't you just share or forward this episode or this show with someone that you know, love and care about. I'd love to get this message out to as many people as possible. That said, enjoy and I'll see you next week. John Gray is the best-selling relationship author of all time. He's the author of 17 books, including the New York Times' number one best-selling book of the last decade, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. His 17 books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages around the world. For more than 35 years, John Gray has conducted public and private seminars for thousands of participants around the world. In his highly acclaimed books, videos, and transformational seminars, John entertains and inspires audiences with practical communication techniques. His unique focus is assisting men and women in understanding, respecting, and appreciating their differences. He has appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show many times, as well as The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, CBS Morning Show, Good Morning America, The Early Show, The View, and many others. He's been profiled in Time, Forbes, USA Today, and People. His website is packed with amazing information, and you can find that at MarsVenus.com. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. It's an honor to have someone uh, with your life experience and life of teaching here on the show and there's just like so much stuff I want to cover, so I'm gonna to try to to move through it as quickly as I can on my end, and just let you do your thing. But I'd like to start the story with, you know, the very beginning of your life, because I think it's it's so fascinating um, how you kind of came into this from a spiritual point of view. And from reading your life story, I got that you know your parents were quite progressive, especially being from Texas, as I understand right,
1: Houston, te- Houston <laughs> Texas, but. You have to realize my parents are a blend. My dad was from Oklahoma, and my mother was from California, L.A. So we brought, you know, those two worlds together in my household.
0: Right. And tell me about your being exposed. I mean, obviously, it's not a memory you have, but it must have had an impact on you of being exposed to Yogananda as a baby. What what was the deal with that?
1: Well, I tell that story because... I have a unique background, and my mother had a spiritual bookstore, and both my parents were rather esoteric. My dad taught me yoga, or taught all the kids yoga. when I I started when I was three years old. So think of me doing yoga in Houston, Texas, (laughs) in the 50s. That's really very progressive in terms of this. So they were fans of Yogananda, and so they drove all the way out to California because they wanted me to be blessed by Yogananda. Uh, So I always had this sort of... Uh, spiritual background, which was progressive, and it's not. You know, we went to church on Sunday. We did that for a while uh... because it was the nearby church. We have a Christian background, but the it's interesting when I came along and Sunday school, uh... they asked that they not that I not go to Sunday school because I would question everything they taught. You know, it's the simple thing of well, if God's so wonderful. Why are people sick? That kind of a thing, and they said better for him not to come, and so. <laughs> <laughs> so, my mother was very liberal and progressive, and she basically, you know, she said, well, it, it, when it came time to be baptized, even, she said, well, we'll let John decide when he wants to be baptized or if he wants to be baptized. So, they really loosened up on all that by the time I came along. And so, I did have that as a background, as I'm just being an ordinary little kid, though, you yeah. know, like the world.
0: I mean, I think those moments are really influential, though, right? Because the grace of the guru, the energy that is... You know depending on how you look at it this is just my own you know subjective experience you. is that e- even if you're a baby and you're unaware of, that that's happening that that could change the trajectory karmically of your whole life i mean myself i was taken to an ashram to uh you know a darshan with um, uh, muktananda when i was about uh, uh nine years old and
1: what what year was that
0: that would have been 1978 79 in Oakland, California.
1: Yeah, yeah, I used to visit that ashram then. No was, way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I used to be very close to Muktananda when I left the What? Mahar- okay, Gee. we got to talk. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: So, okay, go go on because it, I actually just recently emailed my mom and said, "What was the deal? Like tell me everything you can remember about that experience because I've always felt like it was a pivotal experience in my life and and that was my first exposure to just being barefoot in a an ashram and seeing a holy man in a robe and giving him gifts. And I just loved the experience. And I mean, I remember the smell of the incense and just the whole thing and being around Indian people. And I asked my mom and she said, well, what I remember are two things. You were extremely enthralled with this man, like you were obsessed from the moment you walked in a room and also that he told you that you had a very old soul, and you really loved that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad, I'm
0: glad. and um, it's got it. But it's interesting now, because I thought, wow, if a holy man tells you you have an old soul, you could look at it like, wow, it, you're a real slow learner. It's taken you, you know, more lifetimes than the average uh, being
1: to actually learn the lessons, and you're still here, so it's one yeah, way to look I, at I, it. I, I think you felt very validated, and, and, and rightly so. Uh, it's you know, whether you're an old soul or a young soul, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, have you learned your lessons or whatever. It's just that you've been around a bit longer in many, many lifetimes. Yeah, and uh, I'm—I mean, I'm just halfway kidding. I just—I yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm just acknowledging. You. I remember you said a, you're an old soul you
0: are. As a kid, I remember kind of kind of boosted up my ego. I was like, oh, the guru said I have an old soul. <laughs> of course, of course, special, no doubt about it. So, what were so, your your experiences like with uh, Muktananda?
1: Well long before muktananda i was a teenager you know my mother had this spiritual bookstore and so i'd read these books you know which you know they're all the different uh, kind of yoga books the theosophical society books the uh, christian mystic books the islamic books the uh, a whole bunch of books okay she just was had a huge library and really into all that was sort of guide people to what she felt was helpful to them and but the thing that really uh, I loved the most was uh, Yogananda's book, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. When I read that book I was so turned on and so excited because at that time, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm 15 years old, it mirrored what I'd already been reading which was all the Marvel comics and DC comics. You know, every Saturday we go and read about Superman and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and Thor, you know, that was a lot of my education which was Greater potential, you know. We all we're so excited about, you know, more more power, more influence, more creativity, and so that was all exciting. And then came along autobiography of a yogi, which then talked about all the spiritual world and and powers as well, telepathy, and and you know the whole the whole thing. So then came along the Beatles, and that's when the Beatles, you know, I'm a teenager and the Beatles are there, and everybody's starting to take drugs, and there's Woodstock, and and. Uh, you know, when you take drugs, you go really high, but then you crash down. And the Beatles said that you don't have to crash down, you can get high on spirituality, and they went off to live with the Maharishi. And so that was right around the time I was graduating, my last year of high school, and the Maharishi came to America, and I went to visit him. And when I went, I said, this is the guy I want to become. I was so turned on by this guy, and I took every one of his courses for the next three years until he stopped teaching them, and I was teaching them. I was to de- help them develop a teacher training program, and and other people were teaching these courses too. But we taught over fifteen thousand TM teachers. It was a huge, big thing then. You know, now people talk about mindfulness and so forth, but you know, this is back in the in nineteen seventy. We were uh, you know teaching people the value of meditation and yoga and. So this was a big part of my life, and I was his personal assistant. I mean, I was so devoted to it, you know, he, and he was like a father to me. And again, it's one of those connections that was very deep. And I stayed with him for nine years until um, there was a breakup. The turning point for me was my brother was bipolar, and meditation really didn't help bipolar. And so I really couldn't be so happy. I was very fulfilled, very accomplished but I couldn't really be happy in my life if I didn't help my brother. So I left the whole thing to study psychology. And But when I left TM, I wanted to travel around and visit all the other gurus. You know, I'd been reading their books and that's when I met Muktananda. And actually, I was very instrumental in Muktananda, meeting Maharishi. Muktananda at South Fallsburg, uh, which was the East Coast, where he had an ashram. Uh, every morning, I'd go on a walk with Muktananda. It was very cool. Uh, You know, it was slightly political, I think, from his side, because I was the head of the TM Center there, and we're next door to his center. But we became good friends. And then he wanted me to be in charge of his teacher training program and be his student. (laughs) And I said, I'm leaving that right now. So I I left Muktananda, but he's a very inspirational being. Uh, uh, His term for it would be Shakti. You really get your higher energy centers awakened in his presence. And, you know, a lot of people sort of, uh, will put a guru on a pedestal in that sense is that if they can awaken these higher uh, spiritual centers, then they must know everything. And that's a big mistake because it's just that they happen to be born with these centers uh, awakened, whereas their heart center may not be awakened, their sex center may not be awakened, their power center, You know, we have all these energy centers. And depending upon our own uniqueness, when we spend time with someone, they may complement ours and it awakens us. So, uh, you know, that was my experience having been with a lot of gurus, is they're not always right about what they say, and they don't always have the best values. Uh, I don't want to say any dirt about gurus, but it's not like they have some superior value system. Right. And, and that when I really got to see that, I saw that these really very inspirational beings were also very human and uh, really weren't any, you know, superior uh, In a sense, they had certain connections that I didn't have, but I grew to have through my own meditation and the practice, and I'm very grateful for that time. But there's so much more work to be done after you gain higher consciousness, which is a feeling of oneness with the universe, unboundedness, unlimited consciousness. We want to be able to bring that into our body and experience lasting, fulfilling sex with our wife, you know, and and to be able to have unconditional love for our children, to be able to have a successful career. where you you treat people fairly, you don't rip people off, you know, these are all things of bringing the energy back down into the body. And a lot of what people thought about in the past as spirituality was sort of giving up money, giving up sex, giving up personal ambitions and so forth, and that was sort of, in a sense, cutting off the lower center so the energy would go up. And so many of the spiritual practices is the energy going up. And that's all good, but most people in America are actually born with the energy already going up and our job is to bring the energy down uh, as, and, and a lot of people are still doing techniques that bring the energy up. It feels good, but it becomes like an escape. It's, I just want to forget all of this, let it go, be unattached to it all, as opposed to be unattached and attached at the same time. Let the energy go up, you know, being one with that which is perfect and live in an imperfect world trying to make it better. So that's really a lot of what my message is, although I'm a very spiritual guy. I don't talk God or spirituality, you know, I did all that for you know, 10 years, so to speak. It's about bringing the energy down by healing our hearts, dealing with our negative emotions, transforming them, not denying them. Because a lot of meditation practices is a great term, I didn't invent it, but it's called spiritual bypass, where you just ignore all your reactions inside and just go up into the higher realms. Uh, and it, you can do it through different spiritual groups do that a bit uh, also certain religions do that over over the top and then you'll see that now they're taking lots of antidepressants you know here they are talking to themselves everything's perfect but they're not dealing with the emotions and learning to transform the emotions so my journey was the whole guru scene rising above and really to a great expe- extent spiritual bypass and there's nothing wrong with that to find your true self which is beyond all these problems can witness it all but then you gotta embrace what comes up. And Yogananda said it very beautifully. He said the higher your consciousness, it becomes like a screen of your consciousness that life is, is projected onto. And the wider the screen, the the more the little specks will show up. And that's sort of the paradox of growing in consciousness. You become more aware of all of the repressed, suppressed, traumatic experiences of your past. And you really have to then master psychology To learn to process all that and and acknowledge it, embrace the negative emotions, the irrational emotions, the negativity that's inside of us, and transform it back into light. That's the whole challenge: is bring the light into the darkness. And as we do that, then our job is to bring our light into the darkness in the world. Uh, (laughs) Which is, it's always a process of bringing light into darkness. So you can't escape darkness, whether it's going to be your own challenges. Are the challenges of your wife, or your children, or your community, or the world. And as long as you stay in that stream, there's massive fulfillment that you experience. But when you run away from it, you don't experience fulfillment. And the challenge for more enlightened people, I call them conscious people. I just wrote a book called Conscious Men. Because women are always asking me, where are the conscious men? And I say, they're all over the place, but you're not recognizing them. Because what's interesting is the more conscious you become of, as a man, I'm talk, just look about men, I'll talk about women too, but what happens is that means you have more choice. Unconscious, you have no choice. You're just conditioned to be a certain way. You know, If your father was a certain way, you're going to behave that way. Uh, right now we have Donald Trump on the headlines, and he's like the epitome of an unconscious man. He has no shame. He doesn't even think he's being sexist. He doesn't think he's being arrogant. He's just being the way his father was. It's just conditioned responses. But once you become more conscious, you become aware that you have other choices. You start letting go of conditioning to find an authentic self. And our authentic self is more spiritual. And spiritual means we're not limited to the body. We're not just a physical embodiment, we're also a non physical being. So, in my physical body, I have a male body. But in my spiritual body, I'm both masculine and feminine. And so, I have the o- option, the more conscious I become, I can now access feminine qualities, meaning to be more empathetic, to be more compassionate, to be more relationship-oriented, to want to experience more happiness in my life as opposed to get my happiness through somebody else. You know, So men traditionally, the unconscious man just did whatever job your father did or society said you could do. You got paid according to what society says you can get paid. And your happiness and fulfillment was not so much from your work. You know, you're really grinding it out, but your happiness and fulfillment to whatever extent was bringing, providing for your wife and your children and so forth, and you got happiness through them. But the conscious man wants to have his feminine side, which is, I want to enjoy my work. I want to work which is good standards. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what my heart sings. And... So it's access to this feminine quality, which enriches life, and this masculine quality, which is willing to do whatever necessary, postpone gratification, work hard, achieve your goals, confidence, you know, these are these two sides of us. Well, the more spiritual you are, the more the more you have access to both sides. And for men, when we're experiencing stress, trauma, upset, what happens, the more conscious you are, the greater the risk of going too far to the female side. And for women when they're more conscious and spiritual what happens is the greater risk for them to go too far to their masculine side so ironically you know what i wrote about men are from mars was pretty much uh when men are more unconscious and women are more unconscious these are the patterns that they are these are the patterns for centuries how we've developed but as we become more conscious then there's a new challenge which has really been happening in the last 25 years more so as women becoming more masculine which gives men the freedom of having the choice to become more feminine. You know, if I don't have to do everything to support the family, then I'm not going to work so hard, I'm going to have more fun, and we can share that, and I can be more involved with my family. So it's a good thing, but the problem is that it's like walking a tightrope. Now you can go left or right, you can fall down, and the typical conscious man tends to go too far to his female. So we have new challenges, and women have new challenges, and women tend to go too far. They're masculine, so men have challenges in relationships and dealing with women. So it's confusing for people. So the first, if, you know, this is what my book's about, is trying to give people clarity. And uh, the book Conscious Men helps men understand their new challenges as conscious men, because we will be more emotional. Uh, we'll tend to want to be more engaged in the relationship. We tend to get more affected by our wives' behavior and so forth. Uh, we have a greater need to spend time with men, relationships with men, to support our masculinity. So a lot of new things for men. And so I have uh, wonderful stories of, of very conscious men and the challenges that they faced and how they overcame, as well as my own stories and so forth. But that was quite a little monologue I just did. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you 100%. I'm, I am you're
0: no, I'm I'm
1: absolutely there
0: and you know I want to I want to take it back and and kind of digest that. So, you know, first point being that yes, not all enlightened beings uh, have transcended, and if they did, they wouldn't be in a human body anymore, right?
1: Perfectly said, exactly.
0: <laughs> if they're still here, you know they're not God. They're still part human. And,
1: and if you've got if you've got gravity holding you down, then you've got stuff,
0: <laughs> right? So I, I love that, and then also the you know the progression of your spiritual life because I've experienced so much of the same where you know due to different traumas and and just really pain i was driven towards spirituality and then got so into that that i kind of started to float away and i really you know and toward the end of that is really became very feminized right and it was just all about yoga and meditation and being really spaced out and then i was kind of unable to be effective in the world and really be present so i had to come back and kind of get regrounded and now i mean i totally agree that the the spiritual mission is really to to ascend on a certain level where you spend more of the time in that witness position, and you're able to observe your emotional reactions and not be attached to them, and you can see your thoughts without having to act on them or actually believe them and know that you aren't your thoughts and you're not your body, and you have that awareness. awareness, but at the same time, there's commerce, there's money, there's having an impact on the world, there's creating great art, there's... Um, there's bringing up all of that darkness within you that then gets to be worked out. And you don't get to bring up that darkness if you're just hiding in a cave somewhere meditating, like you have to interact in business and relationships and really be fully engaged in order to bring up the next stuff. And it never ceases to amaze me that I'll think I'm over anger, or I'm over jealousy, or I'm over anxiety, you know, because I've surpassed it for a time, but then I get engaged in a new relationship, business or personal or otherwise, and I find there's these nooks and crannies of things that I really thought I had gotten past, and then I have the opportunity to bring them up and kind of dissolve them through spiritual work. So I'm just a full believer that the true spiritual journey is being in the real world and actually embracing being a human and having this experience it's it's such an important distinction because i've seen so many people get spiritual and then they just kind of float away and you know lose the opportunity of actually really really growing and transforming so i i'm just i'm so behind that i love that you shared that
1: well, you articulated it very clearly. Absolutely, I'm right in agreement with whatever you said. And and you know, as as much as anybody listening to that goes, well, that sounds all reasonable, common sense. It hasn't been the common sense in the past. This is really all kind of a new reality we're experiencing, which is spirituality is is bringing that down into into your life and knowing that you don't get over it and you're done with it. You know, back in the '70s, with the with the, a lot of people went to S seminars and. You know, they said, now once you get it, you, you, you're done with it. You know, you, you looked at it once and it's over. And I go, no, no, no. <laughs> you look at it once, you deal with it again and again until you become extremely graceful in dealing with it. We have our, as you mentioned, darkness and issues that we have to deal with. Another way it's often said is if somebody pushes your button you know and I cruise along in my life you know I mean I'm 64 I've been doing this stuff my whole life and you think I got no more buttons you know uh, of course, my wife will always surprise me <laughs> she'll find <laughs> another button but uh, you know it's, it's certainly not her fault it's it's you know it's something that needs to be dealt with inside myself tell there's just nothing the channels are all wide open and creativity is flowing all the time but there's always going to be more. Therefore, you're always going to have to expand your boundary. And if you expand your boundary, you have to first hit that resistance of what your boundary is. Uh, there's a for for writers, uh, for creative people. There's a wonderful book called uh, "The Opposite of the Art of War." It's the War of Art, and I love that book. It was the last book I read, so I'm just sharing about it. But it's uh, he talks about how when you're a creative person, there's always going to be resistance to your next level of creativity. And the same thing it's always going to be resistance to your next level of growth, to your next level of transformation. Because what if you think of us like a pipe, which this you know this divine energy is flowing through us, the creative energy, this influence and power comes through us in our actions and our thoughts and our behaviors. And at a certain point, it's flowing, then you call on more. Because it will always be more and more, nature of life is to more and more, so when, as soon as you get more, but your limits are here, you're going to push against those limits. There's going to be resistance to letting more into your life, and you have to face that resistance and take action. The whole thing is to take action through the resistance, and then the universe, uh, people often say, you take one step, God takes ten steps for you. But biologically, you just work through that resistance, you've taken your step, and now that energy starts to flow and carries you for a while, and then you hit another bump where you're ready to bring in more. And the same thing with marriage, you know, with my wife, we have such a deeper love and a deeper acceptance and a deeper appreciation, both for our lives but also for each other. And you just see that what's happened is we've hit these bumps and when you get through the bumps, you let more love come through. And ironically, you can't let love come through without those bumps. And that just sign you're just trying to stay in your comfort zone. You're not moving through, and you become kind of bored and flat, and you get addicted to sugar and junk food and alcohol and drugs or TV or passivity or overemotionality or anxiety. You get addicted to these things because you're not moving forth and letting that energy flow. All negative emotional states, including boredom, flatness, indifference, uh, or anger, sadness, fear, guilt, shame, all that stuff. That is just blocked divine energy flowing through. So, where are your blocks? How do you know where your blocks are? Is where those emotions show up. Then, when you feel those emotions, you're tending, you're bringing your conscious light to that and empathizing with yourself, understanding the irrationality of that situation and finding the truth from within. And then the energy flows again. And that's just a lifetime journey. And uh, you know, what I've seen ironically is, uh, you know, I travel around the world. I just got back from Kuwait. I was just in Iran. I'm uh, going off to Japan, going off to China next couple of months. So I'm traveling a lot internationally. And what's so interesting is, I'll go into different cultures now, and that's what pushes my buttons. Okay, there'll be some experience of immigration or there'll be some reaction, you know, a taxi cab driver or somebody who cuts in front of me who who looks different from me, you know, and I kind of go, whoa, where'd this judgment come up, you know, it's kind of like this deep hatred, just who are these people, you know, and and you you go, whoa, what's that about, you know, because it's really expanding your unity experience, you know, basically what we want to do ultimately is we, we find ourselves connected to our, our intimate partner, you know, you find where we're one with them. We're different, but there's a oneness, there's a relatedness, and that brings great joy because I'm expanding out to be one with someone who's different from me, that's an expansion beyond my boundaries. And then you have your children, you've expanded out to them with love, and they'll test you at a certain point. Then you go beyond that to you know your extended family, your community, your friends. Then you get buttons there, and your work, you're expanding. How am I making a difference in the world? What the buttons you get pushed there? And then it, 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 in my life, it now goes to other countries. You know, I think for most people that don't travel in their work, it's going to be their political ideas. As we get older, we become more political about you know the right and the left, and you can just see it with the right and the left. How much animosity there is, you know, the buttons are getting pushed. And the reason for that is people are not handling the buttons that are getting pushed at home. I think that's a significant thing. You know, world peace, governmental peace, harmony in the workplace, all that starts at harmony at home. And that's where our challenges are right now. I think we've gone through a big cycle and we're ready for the next stage. And really, it's about creating a peace between men and women. To get in intimate relationships with those with someone who's complementary to you, but you'll resist and keep overcoming those challenges, so you can let love flow again and again and again.
0: In terms of that romantic relationship and something you were uh, touching on earlier with the masculine and feminine energy, um, having you know, as I said, gone you know, super creative and spiritual and you know, I think just due to different factors in my childhood, was very feminized by the time I was in my early 20s, and also a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, I think, assisted in kind of killing off my rational, you know, more masculine energy. And so, Can we
1: pause just for a moment? Sure, sure. Not everybody's going to understand. I want to be real clear, because you're right on the nail there. When we become uh, dependent on substance in order to feel good, That's how men move too far to their female. That's another example of men depending on someone else or something else to make us feel good rather than primarily being self-sufficient and depending upon our actions which are of service or or of achieving, uh, developing skills within ourselves and ultimately to serve others. That's masculinity. That's putting it out there and that provides fulfillment and then we can then share that fulfillment and that's what creates romantic relationships and if we don't have fulfillment in our own masculine world of our work and our personal endeavors if we can't find fulfillment there but we find our fulfillment through a woman then what happens is we go too far to our female now somebody say well don't you get fulfilled through your wife I go yes but my fulfillment through my wife is my work brings a fulfillment that allows me to add to her fulfillment and that's what brings me to a higher level. It's like, you know, if i say something, you know, like right now you're nodding your head and i feel like, oh, i'm making a connection here, that increases my fulfillment is to feel like i have added to someone else. So when my fulfillment adds to my wife's fulfillment, then a greater fulfillment happens. And this is for conscious men, this is so important to to remember that i've got to always make my own source of fulfillment more important than looking to my partner for fulfillment. And I can always tell when I've gotten off balance, and I've gotten off balance with my wife at those times where she can be look at me in a disapproving way. She can have some kind of reaction to something that I don't particularly relate to or think is justified. Like, you know, she could get all upset I left a glass in the sink, you know, just happens to be a bad mood day for her, and she goes, why'd you leave that there? And I go, what are you talking about? You're, you know, putting me down for such a little thing? You know, it's just these irrational upsets happen. And it's, it's only when I'm getting too dependent on her for my fulfillment that that would affect me in a negative way. So now it's kind of like, I'm just curious, you know, oh, I forgot, you know, I, they, I'll put it in the dishwasher. You know, no defensive reaction. When men get angry, they often think it's a very masculine thing. Actually... When you're getting angry, it's uh, you're becoming overly emotional. You're in emotion, and emotion is estrogen. You only can experience emotion when estrogen is increasing. It goes to activates the emotional part of the brain. So what happens is when, tes- when men are challenged, testosterone goes up, and we experience a detachment. You know, it's like when you're mulling something over, how am I going to solve this? You're driving your car pretty fast. You, you like go into a deep meditative state. You're detached from your emotions so you can be real clear in your actions and have faster reaction time and you feel no fear. As soon as you start to experience a little apprehension, dopamine, which increases testosterone, starts to turn into adrenaline, which increases more testosterone, and now you've got faster reaction time, more energy, you disconnect from the past, you disconnect from emotions, but then if you lose confidence, at that point, you know you feel like I have an answer, but then at a certain point you go, I've lost confidence. Then, then the body actually makes an enzyme called aromatase, and aromatase takes that testosterone and converts it into estrogen, and we begin to f- experience fear or anger. So when we get into fear and anger, what's happening is the female hormones are increasing and testosterone's going down, and that's a, that's the symptom of men moving more to their female side which is you won't think rationally, you'll make decisions that are not good in the long run, you will lose trust in your relationship. And so a big part of my book on conscious men is to understand anger is not useful, it's not productive. And this is counterintuitive to the primitive part of the brain because the primitive part of the brain uses anger to get what you want, to create dominance. But now as we're trying to balance our masculine and our feminine, what we have to recognize is for men on their uh more more enlightened, conscious, spiritual guys, irony is with them, they get their buttons pushed, their big buttons that get pushed and they become very irrational in that anger. And also with women, it will close women down. Because historically, in the primitive part of a woman's brain, when a man is anger angry, people die. Okay. So it's it's uh it is not it's only when men are pushed to that place of my life is in danger i don't know what to do that i revert back to being uh you know monkey man gorilla and anger comes out and violence comes out and so you can see these uh you know very quote uh, spiritual people that become violent you know a lot of the a lot of the violence in the world is from people who consider themselves to be extremely religious okay you know so there's this whole sort of spiritual bypass of You know, I'm going to be happy in heaven, so I'm going to be happy now. And they're not living in the moment. And so sensitivity is a good thing as long as you have the detachment. And when men become too sensitive, without the detachment of masculinity, you create problems in relationship. And it feels good if you're on your female side to talk about your problems. So you get in a relationship with a woman and she starts talking about her problems, you start talking about your problems too. And then she starts to go, Oh my God, I feel like I'm his mother. You know, he has so many problems. One of the things that makes men attractive to women is that, you know, they're not a girlfriend. Because if you're a woman and you're a girlfriend with your girlfriend, if you wanna talk and have somebody listen to you, she's gonna talk also. You know, you owe her. And so, you know, what's great about a guy is that if he's on his male side, he doesn't have to talk in order to feel better. And, you know, this is his idea that everybody should talk to feel better. No, only if you're emotional do you need to talk it out. But if you're a man, you can actually uh, diminish much of that emotionality just by doing something that will increase your testosterone. And naturally, your estrogen levels will start to come down. But there are times where there's big crisis, where there's big problems. Men become emotional like afraid or sad or despair, you know, a loss of something, a shock, then you have a huge amount of emotion and you need to talk about it in order to produce enough serotonin to calm that part of the brain. So it's not like men shouldn't talk about their feelings, but again, their emotions, they have to be very careful if they have negative emotions, particularly do not share them with intimate partners, but share them with someone that you're not upset with. And and also, even if you're sharing with your wife something that's upsetting to you that you're not upset with her about, you gotta be careful because after a while, women go right into that mothering mode. See, it's different. When a man is falling apart, women go, okay, I have to be strong, I have to protect him, I have to be mother to him. That pushes her into her masculine. And already women are being pushed too far into their masculine anyway by pressure, pressures in society now, as well as this thing we're talking about, which is a really new idea, which is as we're spiritual beings, conscious beings, we have access to masculine and feminine and for women, when they're stressed, they go too far to their masculine. And so women are feeling like, I have to do, I have to do, I have to do. I can't relax and enjoy my life. They want to enjoy their lives, but their happiness levels in the last uh, 30 years have dramatically gone down. Their depression levels have dramatically gone up. Their risk of divorce has dramatically gone up. Their, um, their uh, uh, risk of staying single has dramatically gone up according to how financially successful they are, according to how educated they are. Because financial success and education, which leads to financial success, leads to independence. So I can do it myself. It's a good thing. It stimulates testosterone, but it also lowers estrogen. So it's like women have to work harder now to find that part of them to give themselves permission to depend on someone, to need someone, to be in a relationship which is interdependent Instead of a relationship where you're basically taking care of your own needs,
0: you just answered a lot of questions for me, and I have to get this book, Conscious Men. Is it out yet? Or are you working on it right it, now? It's,
1: it, the, it's just out on okay. Amazon. The earlier version is out, and about a, a couple of weeks, the later version. We added a lot more to the book and cool. we made the print bigger.
0: <laughs> cool. So, well, yeah. all my all my uh, friends and male clients are about to get that book. Well, thank you. It's you really so good much. information, and you and you just described. Um, I mean, I've, I've slowly begun to figure this out and I, just intuitively through trial and error. But when I'm in a, a conversation, when there's an issue with my female partner, I've learned that if I'm getting emotional, that I have to just shut my mouth. <laughs> like, I cannot have a conversation about the issue at hand until my emotions are no longer active. Because what happens is, and you kind of just explained it, I feel like somebody just turned off my brain. And all logic is totally impossible, and there's no way for me to communicate. It's like I've been knocked in the head with a sledgehammer, and I can't actually articulate anything and make any sense. And I just get so overwhelmed and confused. So yeah,
1: you, you kind of get into this argument, and then you go, "What are we arguing about? What yeah. just happened? How did that happen?" And yeah. I went through the same thing as you. I just really, you know, when you, when you search these things, it's easy to like point fingers, but at a certain point, then you look at yourself and you go, you know what I said when she said that then I said that that was the beginning of the escalation yeah and uh, you know in Mars Venus book men are from Mars there's a great chapter in there called the anatomy of an argument and this insight helped me a lot in my marriage which was you know having been a counselor for 10 years I'm still a counselor but for 10 years eight hours a day listening to women and, and then being married to my wife and having three daughters what I realized uh, is every time there's an argument almost every time there's an argument between a man and a woman it's usually the woman is not happy about something and she starts to talk and a man then wants to explain to her why she shouldn't be that unhappy and as soon as you start to explain to her why she shouldn't be unhappy she will resist you I mean I don't want anybody telling me what to do women don't want men telling her how to feel what she should feel And we have no idea, you know, if if you're upset with me and I say, oh, don't worry about it, I'll do this for you. You go, great, don't worry about it then. You know, or, oh, that's not the reason it happened. And you reasonably go, oh, okay, that's what happened. And immediately you calm down. But with a woman, as soon as you give them a reason why they shouldn't be upset, you're telling them they shouldn't be upset. And that's the anatomy of an argument. She's upset. He now wants to calmly explain to her why she shouldn't be upset. That now makes her more upset. And then she's basically rejecting his idea that makes him feel like a failure. Uh, you're not appreciating my idea, or he feels outraged that you don't see the logic of what he's just said. That now pushed him into his female side, and now he's becoming more emotional, and that's where escalation happens, uh, and that's what you know. You get these arguments, and you go, "What are we doing?" And then, it, then what we have to recognize is literally when there's escalation of emotions like that, there are bruises that take place, emotional bruises, and it takes a little time for those to heal, but they do heal. But the more we can uh, do loving things to each other, you know, like be affectionate, plan a date, do some nice things, even though you may not feel like it, but just do them, what happens is those wounds heal faster. So that's where good skills are really important to know, of what really works to soothe a woman, what works to soothe a man.
0: There's two techniques that I've been using. I want to vet these by you and see if these make sense. A is if I'm in a conflict, primarily with a woman, but really really any conflict in, in involving a relationship, and I don't know what to say or what to do. I just don't say or do anything.
1: Such, <laughs> it, wisdom. Such until, wisdom.
0: Until I've had time to reflect and, and decompress and be by myself and go inside and really look at it. Because I've made so many mistakes where... I'm reactionary, and then like the moment the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, "Oh my god! I wish I could take that back. I knew I shouldn't have said anything." So I really just shut up. And even if a woman's like, "Well, what you know? What do you think? What do you think?" I mean, give me something. I'm just like, you know what? At this moment, I do not have an answer for you, but I'm willing to go inside and look at it, and I'll get back to you. And I just stop. So that's one tool.
1: That's the, uh, really good too. Okay, I cool. Think about it now. I have no problem. You know, my wife always wants to know, well, what do you think? What do you think? And I just say, you know, right now, I'm thinking about it. I don't (laughs) don't really know. It's fine to say, I don't really know. I need to think more about it. And that's called mulling it over. And, and you know, what you just described for the women listening, it's so helpful. Because when a man mulls something over, it's not like he's withholding from you. Literally, he he needs some silence to sort of weigh all of the different thoughts that are going on inside and come to some place of clarity. And and if we as men understand that process, that sometimes we don't know clearly what's going on, we need some time to sit with it in silence. It's a big part of my book about men know how to uh, take space gracefully and the importance of silence for men to regulate stress levels. So to take that time, what this can help women understand that sometimes they're having a conversation with a guy and she's very tuned in to connection emotions allow us to connect and women need that connection they feel comforted they feel safe when you know somebody's right with them connected to them but when so, when a bump in the road comes if there's a problem or something we're not familiar with a man will temporarily detach to think about to mull over what was just said and she will notice He he sort of just disappeared. Where did did you go? What's going on? And part of her wanting to know what you're thinking is she's panicking, okay? It's like, what just happened? Did I say something to offend you? Did I say something to upset you? Are you not loving me now? Did you just shift? Because women typically only disconnect when they're upset with you and they don't trust you. But a man simply disconnects in order to process a challenge or a stress. So it's like my daughter Lauren, I don't know. Have you seen her blogs? Yeah, Uh, I have. She's very cool. about. Yeah. She's,
0: she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love her videos. If there's any, I mean, men or women, but especially women listening, her videos are amazing. She's really talented. Yeah.
1: She works hard at that. And, and for guys, she's a, she's got one, a series of blogs called winning moves, the things that her boyfriend does for her. And they inspire me, you know, (laughs) he's really a good boyfriend. And, uh, he also does all my videos. He's a videographer. So when I'm when I'm giving my talks, I'm also giving him information on how to be a good boyfriend for my my daughter.
0: I like that two birds with one stone.
1: That's right, two birds. With, but then he puts it into practice much better than I do, to be quite honest. So it kind of when you see somebody doing it, it inspires you to be able to do it. You know, a lot of us just didn't see our dads. Uh, our dads didn't understand the new software, and our mothers really didn't require it. But as women become more masculine, they need a man to be more masculine at home to help her go into her female side. Because in a sense, when a guy comes home from work, our basic tendency is we've been uh, working and giving and solving problems, that's stimulating testosterone, and that is using up our testosterone. And part of how we can rebuild our testosterone is to relax and not solve any problems, but uh, keep our dopamine levels up. So it be like reading the news, hearing about other people's problems, but not being in a stressful state. So if we can think about problems and solutions, like even walking, watching a soccer game, is very close to the benefits of meditating. You know, we're meditating, we feel like we're progressing, we're doing something, but we're in a non-stress state. That's what helps us to rebuild our testosterone and come back to masculinity. Silence and awakefulness at the same time rebuilds testosterone. And so when men come home and they go into that place of wanting to rebuild testosterone, Women completely freak out because they go, where did he go? Why doesn't he want to see me? Why is he not interested in me? Why are we not connecting? And she's got to understand this. Otherwise, if she has the thought, he doesn't love me anymore, that raises her stress level, which doesn't help her at all. Two, causes her to disapprove of us, which doesn't help us at all, because you can't rebuild your testosterone unless you feel like, now I deserve to rest. I worked hard, and now I get to have my relaxation and she's looking at you like, why are you sitting there, or why aren't you helping me, or why aren't you being interested in me, or why did you detach from me, as opposed to encouraging that. Then as you rebuild testosterone, then you're ready to interact with the family and so forth, but you need that little break. And it's so important for men to understand this, because a lot of men are workaholics now, because we can come home and go right onto our computers and continue working, keep, continue doing emails and so forth, and we don't give our brain a chance to turn off men have this capacity women don't you know this is what we have to understand about women is they talk about the things that are bothering them in order to come back into balance and feel happy men forget the things that are bothering them temporarily we forget it and because we can forget it our stress goes down then we can rebuild our testosterone and come back into balance so that's the whole kind of whole concept of meditation really was to quiet the mind and interestingly enough it was only men that did meditation in India you know this was and yoga was for men now women are really into yoga and women are you know enjoying short meditations and that's because now women are more like men and it is helpful to them but the bottom line is it's always going to be a struggle for them to get the benefit if they don't also understand the hormones of femininity because it's not just about rebuilding testosterone for women after they're solving problems all day women have to come home to estrogen activities that stimulate estrogen and oxytocin which romance communication and knowing how to ask for help are all big estrogen oxytocin stimulators and without that knowledge uh, women today just they feel overwhelmed Uh, they feel pressured they feel like I I came up with these words today so I want to say them the first time but when women are stressed, they shift into the gear of, I don't have what I need, therefore I have to do this and this and this. As opposed to, I have what I need, therefore I want to do this and this and this. When you feel, I have what I need, that's estrogen and serotonin. So, and oxytocin, those are the blending of these female hormones. And when you have those three together, you have this sense of gratitude and contentment, that I have what I need. Then from that place of I have what I need, you're able to experience desire to to do what you want to do as opposed to a different kind of desire, which is I have to do. Whenever a woman is stressed, you'll notice she says stuff like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And that is a sign of her being overwhelmed, her feeling stressed, her not being fulfilled or happy. And if you look at this from the hormonal place and the brain chemical place, that, 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 that distinction of I don't have what I need is low serotonin and, and some estrogen but it's the low serotonin and then from that place instead of a desire to do what I want to do they go into this thing of I have to do and, and, and for women I, I encourage them just even to listen to their brain a bit and whenever they're saying I have to you say well wait a second is this something I really want to do Just coming back to, I'm in charge of my life, as opposed to life is just pushing me around back and forth. You just described,
0: I think, a fundamental breakdown in the male-female relationship in that when, say, the man, or in my case, I come home from work, I'm running errands all day, I'm just going crazy, I'm out there making it happen, uh, generating and using testosterone, and then I come home, and I never knew why this was, but when I come home, i literally can't talk to anyone for at least a half an hour if not 45 minutes i just have to zone out on my phone i have to read something i have to be away from people and just sit there and i didn't know so i'm regenerating that testosterone and then when the woman comes home you're saying what she needs is actually connection and um and emotions and communication so you can see how there's a fundamental problem there (laughs) if you guys are out you know running around all day together you take a trip and you come home the guy immediately wants to go hibernate and regroup and the woman wants connection and i mean literally i've heard these words um i think i'm thinking about my ex-girlfriend that i you know still love deeply we're we're great friends but when we used to come home at the end of a day and i would just have to be by myself she would go why don't you like me anymore yeah. Why didn't maybe. you like me? And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I love you more than ever. <laughs> you know, we just had the best day. I just can't be around you for the next few minutes. I have to process, you know?
1: Well, you know, we'll, we'll take it another step. That, by the way, what you just described is the. Probably the most important idea that made Men are From Mars, you know, a bestseller in every country in the world, basically.
0: From what I, I, Is it not the, the biggest-selling relationship book of all time? Do I have that is, right?
1: It is. Over 50 million copies.
0: Congratulations. And
1: others are like a, a million is like unbelievably successful, the thought of that. But it's, it's about 10 million, 11 million in America. But then everywhere, you know, in China, every year a million books are sold. You know, I can't even keep track of them there. There's seven publishers. Only one is legal. <laughs> uh, so, so it, it's just like gangbusters but you know I'm in the I'm in Kurdistan Kazakhstan I'm going to Kiev you know I get 10,000 people to come to a talk you know it's like people know me <laughs> they, they say what a difference it made in their life it was so sweet I was just in Kuwait you know and these women they just like well now I can make sense of my husband I didn't know because just what you're saying is they feel like He hates me. Why does he hate me? Why doesn't he love me? What happened? What did I do wrong? And there's this sweet innocence, until eventually it turns into not-so-sweet resentment. But it's this sweetness of, and they, they, you know, one lady said to me, a very religious woman, it was very funny, she came out of a talk and she was uh, crying, Middle Eastern woman, and I said, well, are you you upset? She says, I'm happy, I'm happy. I said, well, why are you so happy? And she says, because now I know God made him this way.
0: <laughs> so wow.
1: It's just you start to think, what's wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Something wrong with my marriage? Are we doomed forever? Instead of saying, this is how it works. So you were describing what you described, which I like to take it one step further, which is fun. Is Because like, you were saying that thing about well, everything's really good, and then suddenly they think, well, why are you pulling away? Because when things are really good, women think now we're at a new level of intimacy. We're going to get even closer and a man feels like, okay, we did that. It's kind of like, I finished that meal. Now I have something else to do. And for us, we, we get a certain amount, and that's all we need. Whereas for women, they sort of feel like, well, why did you pull away? Why did you pull away? And so what will happen quite commonly is a couple will go on a getaway or romantic vacation and get really close, you know, without distractions of work or anything, and then when they come home, he's ready to get back into work, and he ignores her completely because he's feeling like everything's great, and she's feeling like, what happened? I thought we'd gotten to a new level. And, and this is the whole dance of intimacy, which is, and it took me a while but once I had the science to back it up, but in Men Are From Mars, I talk about it as the rubber band, is that men will get close, then they'll pull away, but they'll spring back as long as you give them the space to pull away. But if when he's pulling away, you run after him, he never gets to pull away to spring back. So that was a little metaphor and certainly very, very helpful because people could see their experience in that. But now we know the science of it is that when I get close to a woman, what's happening is I'm now getting emotional needs met through a woman. My estrogen levels will start to increase and my oxytocin, the bonding hormone, will start to increase. Well, it turns out that both estrogen and oxytocin lower testosterone. So testosterone gives us a sense of aliveness and motivation, and it also regulates stress. When testosterone goes down, men start to feel uncomfortable and stressed, okay, passive or depressed, irritable, gloomy, any of that is low testosterone in men. So just being really close to a woman for a while, what will happen is your testosterone will start to drop, and there's a need to just get away and you when you pull away and you're back into the place of I'm on my own, I'm doing my thing, I'm in control of my life, testosterone levels go back up. And now you're feeling good again, alive, then to find balance as your masculinity increases, you now feel strong in that. Now testosterone motivates you to connect with the estrogen and the oxytocin for balance. And so there's that whole sort of bliss of connecting to these female hormones, oxytocin is love and you love her and you feel close to her and you're happy and you're optimistic, now you're becoming one. Now you've just, your testosterone levels take a plunge, so you got to pull away again. So that's the whole, you know, biological foundation of this misinterpretation that we have in our relationships of thinking we should always just be glued together and happy and connected and so forth, because if we stay too far connected, we, we, we will actually subconsciously create arguments to create that distance as opposed to just gracefully creating distance, closeness. And it's like a dance step. You know, in dance steps, you get closer, you pull away, you get closer, you twirl around. You know, it's like that's the dance of intimacy.
0: So it sounds like paying attention to uh, the flow of nature as naturally nature actually uses these hormones and these chemical processes in our bodies and in our brains right to kind of do that for us it's a matter of honoring that through some understanding right so okay so this is the way it works so when I feel myself doing that as a conscious man to allow that to allow myself to have that space and to be conscious of what I'm doing and uh, maybe even have the opportunity to communicate that to my partner and say hey this is just the way that I'm wired and you know there's something you maybe should be doing too <laughs> to regenerate yourself.
1: It's exactly it. We give lots of phrases in the book of how to communicate that to her and and but for a man, just to give himself permission, because again, one of the qualities of femininity is to be conscious of how your behavior affects somebody else. okay So you're considerate of the other perspective. So a guy will feel this need to take a space to be quiet, to detach, but he's considered of what she's thinking, and she's going to feel abandoned. And so then he already feels bad <laughs> taking space for himself, like I'm doing something wrong. And if you feel like you're doing something wrong when you take space, your stress levels are up, and you can't rebuild your testosterone until you fully relax. So it's like this process that just doesn't work. And now you have to keep taking more and more space to try to make it work. And so there's this internal struggle of, I just want to get away. I want to get away. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hurt her. I don't like, it's, and this just clears that up so clearly. And I remember the first time I was, real, I was giving myself permission to do this. I was understanding this more. And my wife and I spent a week moving to a new location, moving her aunt up to where we live in Mill Valley, California. And we spent a week just working, doing all this you know, grunt work, the whole thing. And then when we got home, I said, I'm going to go to the movies with a friend. And she says, you're going to go out to the movies with a friend? Don't you want to spend time with me? We haven't had any time together. (laughs) Of course, what she meant to say in her language, we haven't had any quality time together where we weren't doing all this work. (laughs) But I said to her, I said, honey, I know I want quality time too, but I need to spend some time with my friends just to detach a little bit, decompress, have a good time, and I promise you tomorrow... I'm going to come back, and we're going to do something special. I'm going to take you out on a date, and we're going to have quality time. And she looked at me like, I don't believe you. And I said, you'll see. And the next day, she said nothing, but that I had planned something. And she saw that I could be so much more attentive if my stress levels were down. And for men to cope with stress, we need to pull away from all problems, forget problems, do something that's fun. Are they engages our mind, or it's other people's problems that we don't have to solve? You know, watching the news for me is a, a good meditation as well. Yeah, uh, anything that takes me away <laughs> temporarily from looking at my own problems that need to be solved. Yeah, Instagram would be mine. <laughs> so I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a TV. I
0: wanted to. I wanted to test one other. I guess you could call it a conflict resolution tool or just a communication tool that that I. I don't know where I picked this up, but it seems to be very effective. I want to see what the basis is. Uh, when emotions arise in a relationship with a woman and she is pissed at me about something and needs to communicate that to me, my gut reaction is to, as you said earlier, to explain my point of view and sort of, you know, give her reasons as to why I did this or that, uh, to try and fix her problem. Like, no, no, here's what you need to do. Think about it this way, do this, let's do this. And I just immediately go into fix it mode. I found that that just exact exa- what's the word Exacer- <laughs> exacerbates the issue makes the issue worse uh so what i've gotten in the habit of doing is just really consciously listening and just opening my heart and i basically just repeat this and i hope none of my you know current or future girlfriends ever hear this cuz they'll know what i'm doing and bust me but i just say you know what i understand i understand thank you i understand how you feel i basically just Don't say anything except I understand. And then I'll say when they kind of stop, I go, and what else? Is there more? Can you tell me more? You know, how does that make you feel? I understand. And I basically just keep drawing out of them more and more and more of that complaint or that emotion until it seems to have run out and I never try to fix it. And it, it seems to kind of deflate the issue much more effectively than me explaining why I did this or that and, you know, how they should change their point of view. Am I on track there or am I totally, missing something?
1: Totally, totally. It's like you're living my book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. One of the things in there I talk about is women are like waves. And when they're feeling really positive, it builds up, but that wave's going to come down and she needs to talk about the stresses in her life. And if you try to keep the wave up there, you're just battling her, It would just can want to come down more and more. If you resist her being upset, trying to fix it is resisting her upset. It will just stay that way and get worse as opposed to allowing the wave to crash, so to speak. And then where does it go? It's a wave. It will go right back up. The emotions are like waves. If you just allow and embrace what's frustrating, what's disappointing, her concerns. So a lot of guys go, what am I going to do? I want to fix it. And in a sense, we do have to fix it. So the fix it is to do what's going to help her. And what's gonna help her is what you just said, is don't give solutions, don't explain away her feelings, but show interest in them, show interest. And so, you know, you're saying, I understand, uh, even just, you don't even have to use words sometimes, just little nods of the head, uh, eye contact, making little sounds, uh-huh, I get it, uh, I understand. But we have to be careful, it's not like the phrase, okay, I get it, I got it, I understand, <laughs> yeah. I know. If you're saying those same words from the point of view of stop talking, then those words become charged. So another word other than I understand is help me understand that better. Uh, I just love that phrase because women like, oh, he really is interested. I can help him too. Uh, They like to always help. So help me understand that better is one. But before that, I'll just, you know, I'll be interested. I'll make some nice sounds and noises and then I'll say tell me more. And I'll also say, what else? What else is a great thing to say? It's like, well, what else? And you don't know where they're going to go. But just asking the question helps them look inside to bring out more. And the truth is, even if a girlfriend or wife has heard what you said today, you know, what you're doing is something wonderful. It's a way to support her. So you're not just quote doing it. No, I know lip service, right? It, right. It it, it's, it it kind of sound,
0: you know. It could sound like a trick, like all right, I just want to get her off my back, so I'm just gonna say, uh huh. Oh, honey, yeah,
1: yeah. What, I know? And you know, <laughs> and but, you know <laughs> men are notorious for <clears throat> for that in the past. Unconscious men are kind of, oh, she's going on and on. Just let her talk, talk, talk. But when you're a conscious guy, you really can't ignore it. You take it in, and that's why you want to solve it. That's why this whole big deal about don't try to solve it. You're really unconscious, guys, wife would go on, oh, she's a little crazy, you know, she's just going on and on, and it's kind of like water off the back. You don't get affected by it, but you shut off to her, and of course, that causes her to shut off to you, and gradually, couples lose intimacy, they lose passion, they stop having sex as a result, or it's just not as fulfilling, as opposed to actually being affected by what somebody has said. So when she's upset, as a conscious man, you're going to be more affected by it, therefore more motivated to try to fix it. And so what we have to realize, the way to fix it is to provide a new kind of support which is to truly simply be curious and try to understand where she's coming from from a point of view of if I was her I'd probably feel the same way. And she doesn't need me to tell her how to do it better, she's just voicing what's going on inside. And that becomes a little tricky because sometimes a woman does want to know what you think and what she could do better, and even when she does, you gotta go slow with that. Well I need to understand a little better before I can form an opinion because if you catch a woman in the middle of an upset and you come up with a good solution and she's even asked for it, she won't be able to fully appreciate it because she hasn't yet raised all of her objections to it. So you're gonna give your solutions and she's gonna go, yeah, but I have more to say. So make sure she kind of empties out of everything and sometimes she might you know, do you want me offer some help with this? Are you fine with it? and can I just give you a hug? And that's a really good conclusion is, is, here's another good phrase, after my wife's talked for a while, from time, and you, I can use this over and over, I've been using it for years, I just look at it and go, you give so much to so many people, it's an acknowledgement, let me give you a hug. <laughs> and you give a hug, hugs, they're like magic, you know, they really help to kind of give you that sense of completion, because as a man, you feel like, did I fix it, did I solve it, did I do something, and you actually could do something physical. Because on a bottom line, if a woman is sharing without obstruction, without resistance, she's actually making lots of oxytocin and estrogen. And then if you give her a hug, it gives a big surge of oxytocin at the end that pushes her stress levels down. Then at that point, it's not like anything has changed in her life, but what has changed inside her is her ability to see now all the good things, as opposed to just focusing on the things that are pushing on her. And the reason she goes there is because when she's getting the hormone estrogen, what occurs is she's able to recognize all the other levels of support she has in her life. But when estrogen starts to go down, women start to feel like, I have no support anywhere. I have to do it myself. So talking to another human being who is present for her, that's it. You feel like I'm not alone. She feels like she's not alone and it has a huge impact of lowering her stress and making her happy even though nothing has changed in her life no problem has been solved she can suddenly feel better
0: that's beautiful god there's 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 so much there and uh you know, I know we're we're coming toward the end of the hour here, so I I don't want to uh, go on and on. I think we're going to have to do a part two someday because <laughs> I'm like there are so many more questions. Uh, and you know, another time we'll have to go into the nutrition piece and monogamy and sex. There's there's a lot of other things to do, but uh, we'll save that for another time. But I did want to ask you in in closing, John. You know, you mentioned Autobiography of a Yogi, which is of course a classic text. Are there three? Uh, teachers, teachings, other books, where you've gained some of your insights and knowledge that you can recommend?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh,
0: I mean, I know you have a wall of them behind you. I have a wall it's, of them behind me. It's hard to pick, but,
1: you <laughs> well, know... I, will, I did mention today, instead of The Art of War, The War of Art.
0: Okay, got I it. I think
1: every creative, conscious guy can read and have a, have a huge impact. And just expand it, it's pretty much written towards writers. But it's every creative act, every time you're willing to make your life better, there's going to be this wall of resistance. And I've really never read anybody who's more encouraging and more understanding of that than that author. So that's a a really good one that comes to mind. There's also this whole topic of of men. Uh, There's books by Warren Farrell. Why Men Are the Way They Are uh, is uh, The Myth of Male Power. Uh, These are very powerful uh, books that help explain male psyche. Because, um, you know, there's a whole movement that's very verbal about, uh, you know, what has happened to women in the past and how women have to move out of that, how they've been limited, conditioned, restrained, held back. But there's this whole thing about masculinity that it doesn't get told because you know it's not really fashionable to talk about men's problems, you know, because you look weak. But Warren is in his books is very good at articulating a balance of the struggles both women go through and men go through. And how we can get through those together. So those are very powerful books as well. And ironically, when you're talking about spirituality, you know, you, you kind of want to go to a, you know, uh, you, you think of spirituality as um, be here now and 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 uh, the power of now and spiritual gurus and so forth. And for some people, that's where they're at, and that's spiritual books. But to me, as we talked about today, the real journey of mature spirituality is get yourself into the world. Face those buttons, face those challenges, and don't let resistance hold you back from being a loving, supportive, creative person who wants to support others, but equally support yourself. And that, to me, is that real journey of spirituality. And I, you know, we'll do another show on the whole nutritional aspect, but I I just want people to know who are listening to this. There's a world of information to support those male hormones, to help. You know, there's the hormone tonk there there's the supplement tonkatali that will boost your testosterone production. There's something called myomin that will lower your estrogen levels. For women, there's certain mineral nutrients that will immediately lower their stress, because women's stress levels are four times higher than men's. There's natural supplements that will improve your sleep. Uh, there's supplements that will give you more energy by restoring the adrenal gland, high doses of vitamin C, MSM, and taurine over a three-month period will completely restore your youthful energy in your adrenal glands which become exhausted due to stress. So there's a lot of that information at, at my website, MarsVenus.com, and I will look forward to a conversation with you where we can go into greater detail. Absolutely. Because another thing for your generation that was growing up and developing your body during the 90s, okay, in the 90s uh, glyphosate started getting sprayed on wheat. Uh, to kill the wheat so they can have double crops. Now, glyphosate is a 10 times more uh, potent uh, in di- uh, toxic substance than gluten. And, and, and so what happens is we get all these younger generation who can't digest gluten and they're getting stomach aches and uh, they get diarrhea, constipation or stomach aches and that is a real red flag for... Causing ADHD type symptoms, addictive type behaviors, being stuck too far on your female side for males, being stuck too far on the male side for women. And it comes down to helping the digestion. And there's really powerful probiotics that can heal that. You know, one of them that I recommend is called Bravo from Switzerland. And again, all the information is at my website, but it has 42 probiotics that used to be in your mother's body. But today, Western women don't have all the probiotics anymore to give to their children because of antibiotics and painkillers kills off those probiotics. So really, we're missing certain things that can help suddenly and help improve our digestion, which provides the right protein in order to make the brain chemicals. There's also important uh, minerals that are missing in our diet. Uh, because when we eat sugar, it depletes the brain of those minerals. And without those minerals, they're the cofactors to make plenty of dopamine and serotonin. So once again, then we get back into these sort of addictive tendencies of needing more stimulation rather than uh, the stimulation you get from the same person for 30 years of your life. You know, you have to new and different all the time. That's simply another aspect of inhibited dopamine function. And that's written about, for those that... Want to get that information now, it's in my book, Staying Focused in a Hyper World, Natural Solutions for ADHD, Memory, and Brain Performance. But in the meantime, I'm really looking forward to talking to you again. You are so yeah. insightful. I appreciate all your comments. Oh, thank you, John. And and I just want to say, uh,
0: in terms of the work that you put out, it's I highly recommend that people go to your site, marsvenus.com. And what I find interesting is that you have a lot of psychology, you have the spiritual element, you have the relationship element, but I think it's so crucial that you have the nutrition, not only the information in terms of videos and posts about it, but you have a store that's like so masterfully uh, curated. Like, I'm looking at all your supplements and I'm like a health freak. I mean, I... Yeah. taking every supplement in the world, I've spent more on that than my rent a lot of the time. Um, That's
1: why you look so good and you're so clear. And if you just to back that up, Japanese people pay more for their nutritional supplements for their food, healthy food, than for their mortgage.
0: Wow. Well, then
1: <laughs> I have a lot in common with the Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're the healthiest people on the planet.
0: But I want to say that your, I mean, your knowledge of nutrition is just pristine and the stuff that you have on your site i mean all of the even just the weird stuff like k2 and there's just so many different things that a lot of people generally are unaware of and you have the best brands and it's just like a great place to shop so we definitely have to do another show just on that whole piece because you're a wealth of knowledge and uh you know and then of course you have tons of great video content and all of your books so i just i love your site and the the amount of content you put out is insane and I know that you're passionate about it because I have a feeling if you've sold fifty million books, you're probably not hard up for cash. Correct. D- despite some bootleg versions in China. I'm sure you're doing okay. <laughs> you don't <laughs> you don't have to travel around the world and you know do all these engagements and put out the content. I know it's 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 done out of love and you want to share your experience. And I just really appreciate what you do and really appreciate you being on the show today.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you again.
0: Sounds good. Now the time has come for us to, unfortunately, say goodbye, my friend. But I am hoping that you enjoyed that interview with John Gray as much as I did. As always, the really great interview happened after we stopped recording, which is so funny. We went for like another half an hour, and John was just telling me all these amazing stories about his 60s guru adventures and things like that. So we're definitely going to have John back on, but I'm sure that was a really good start for you to dig in. I learned so much about relationships and about myself during that interview, and I hope you did too. Here's the bonus for you though. If you wanna get the episode upgrade, which again is a free document containing all of those links and resources that John and I talked about in this interview, all you have to do is this super simple, ready? Go to lukestory.com forward slash Lifestylist13. Just enter your email, blank, submit, and it's going to be automatically and magically sent right to your inbox. But so pull your car over, stop what you're doing, Open up your browser and type in lukestory.com forward slash lifestylist13, and you will get the upgrade for free. And the upgrade also, of course, features all of my uh, featured favorites, which are my newest and the latest and greatest discoveries, okay? So once you've done that, make sure that you subscribe to this show so you don't miss any episodes, including next week's episode number 14, which is all about water. Water is such a crucial part of our lives. And we spend an hour talking to an amazing expert about what is in your water. Do me a huge solid as well. And make sure you share this episode with someone that you know, love, care about, even share it with your worst enemy. I don't even care. Just forward this episode and this podcast to someone who you think might get some use out of it. And that said, I want to thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. You know what? I really like you. You know why? Because you listen to my podcast. You know what else I like? I like Bulletproof Coffee. So put those two things together, and what we've got is a sweet discount code at BulletproofCom for you. That's right. Enter the code LukeStory at checkout and save 10% off your order from one of my favorite nutrition sites of all time. If you haven't had bulletproof coffee, by now, I don't know if you've been living on Mars or what, but it's a game changer, guaranteed. And if you're not into coffee, there's tons of great chocolate products and all sorts of things. The hot cocoa is amazing. So there are alternatives if you're not a coffee drinker like myself, but I just encourage you to get over there and check it out. It's a very stellar company with some amazing health-related products. Save 10% by entering the code LUKESTORY at checkout.